information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted often signing away our chances because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding, quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech. When the situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquered basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people. Law in plain language, breaking it down for us in layman terms. Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn, not for a check, but to address how to win in these streets. This show is for you. This show is for me. It's for the people. What's up, what's up, what's up? This is Deb Rainey, the compassionate lawyer. Welcome to another episode of For the People, Law in Playing Language. I'm excited. We were gone for a week. We went to the beach. We had a blast. First vacation in like 1,200 years. Joining us in the studio tonight, some very special folk. One gentleman in particular, his name is Suja Graham. He was, by the grace of God, exonerated from death row in California, Suja, I say what's up to the people, my brother. Hello, everyone. It is a great honor and privilege to be here tonight. I'm Suja Graham, a death row survivor. I'm in Philadelphia to talk about incarceration and, and uh, solitary confinement and, and whatever else people want to ask me as a person that have survived death row. Wow. Thank you so much. Joining us also is Miss Phyllis Prentice. She and Suja Graham are, are, excuse me, are member, board members of Witness to Innocence, and they just happen to be a couple, and they make a fabulous couple. Say hi, fellas. Hi, good evening. I'm so happy to be here and look forward to the show. Thank you. Returning from our prior show where we did Witness to Innocence, we had David Love, Veronica Castellanos, and Miss Kathy Spillman yeah. hiding at the door thinking I ain't going to check on her. <laughs> She's the director of marketing and outreach for Witness to Innocence. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Deb. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you, a special thank you to Witness to Innocence for arranging for Suja to be here with us. And it's we're the ones that's honored and privileged to have you here with us, my brother. Ladies and gentlemen, sure. we're going to save the recap from what happened last week till the end of I'm the show. Just going into, I'm just going to interject here because this is a very exciting show. We're very happy to have you here, but... Black, did you feel like you had a little bit of slight there? Did she even say anything I'm about I'm not us? done. All right, I was just checking. I'm not done. <laughs> My goodness. 
And with me in the studio, as usual, my goodness, my For the People fam, Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poets, up fam. What's up, what's up? And last but certainly not least, simply the producer, soon to be the doctor producer baby. <laughs> she will not be left out. Maybe, today. <laughs> maybe I should have just left well enough alone. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we are here tonight with Mr. Graham. We've um, we're so um, grateful that he agreed to come on the show tonight. The show is all about and for Mr. Graham, and it's information for you listeners out there, so that you can get an idea of why so many of us are anti-death penalty um, folks, opponents of the death penalty, if you will. Very, very quickly, because my producer told me I can't do a recap because we're on a time crunch. Uh, two weeks ago, before we went on vacation, we did a show where we had David Love, the executive director of Witness to Innocence. We had um, Kathy Spillman, the lady I told you is hiding at the door, and Veronica <laughs> Castellanos, who is a fellow with Witness to Innocence. Is that right? She's a volunteer. And we, she's a volunteer. Wow. Hi, Kathy. Hi, David. If you're listening, hi, Witness to Innocence. If you missed that show, check it out, www.debradylaw.com. If you didn't know, you're listening to www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the what? The sound from Germantown. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I missed y'all. I missed y'all. I missed yeah. y'all. But I was on vacation. I had fun. So, Suja, let me. She didn't mention y'all one time while she was away. Well, she didn't know because she was in the books trying to get her little PhD, so she wouldn't have known. Well. <laughs> See, she, uh-huh. she thought about us. Well, <laughs> so anyway, Suja, let me ask you this first question. How old were you when you first went to strike all that? Where did you serve your time on death row? What state? It was in California. I went to prison at, at an early age. I was 18 years old, and I went to prison for a $35 robbery that I did commit. And I was sentenced to Let a me life. stop you for a second. You said a $35 robbery? That's what That's all you got in the robbery with $35? Well, maybe $80 or whatever. Okay. But it was, a, <laughs> was there a gun? It was a gun involved, but no one was really hurt. Okay. Okay. And what did, And back then, this was what, in the late 60s? Yes. It was in the so they probably gave you like, a 25-year sentence? Well, at that time, it was indeterminate sentence. Wow. And wow. I was 18 years old. So how did that work back in California? Determined you had to do a certain amount of time? Who well, determined when you had done enough to be considered for parole? Was that a parole board decision? Well, it was an indeterminate sentence. They could keep me there for the way the sentence was established at that particular time when I was in prison. I could have stayed in prison for the rest of my life because I was given a life sentence. And during the time of my incarceration in prison, I joined a political movement. When what I was came the, what to, was the movement? When I came to prison at the age of 18 or 19 years old, I was in gang activity. And during the period of my time in prison, I met a person, a brother named Yassin Muhammad, mm-hmm. right before I went to prison. And he was involved in Islam. And he was the first person that was ever able to capture my imagination and take your time, make bro. me take believe in what was right. So And from that day on, when I met him, I, I was 19. He was 45 years old. And we went to prison together. And he taught me how to read and write. Wow. And from that teaching, I joined the movement for civil rights and human rights in prison, irregardless of what a prisoner is there for. You're a human. 
human being, and you deserve to be treated as a human being. Let me make sure I understand you. When you said you joined the movement, you joined the movement within the prison to sort of work on bettering the conditions for the prisoners. Is that right? Fighting for social justice, just like the movement here in the streets today that are fighting. We just was a small microcosm of what was going on in society. So we decided to stand up. And, and join that movement for human rights. And how much hell did you go through while you were in the uh, Department of Corrections in California for joining that movement? Take your time. Take your time. Take your time. The reason I ask that question, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you to know if you've watched any of those old-time prison gang movies, California Department of Corrections used to be the sort of model for the nation. And I know that only because I worked as a correction officer a long time ago and I worked with the feds as well. And places like the newer prison, Soledad Prison, and some of California's older prisons, they were sort of the cornerstone of how you're supposed to secure your inmates. What they weren't telling the rest of the world is that the way they did that was some of the most inhumane and disgusting treatment that an individual can go through while being in custody. So California has both a long history of being a sort of a model for prisoners with respect to facilities and security and the like, but also this this blue wall as it applies to corrections officers, California also set the model for how to treat people as bad as you can treat them. So um, for those of you that, that aren't here and can't see it, Brother Suja is a little emotional, and, and I can imagine, and you can see in his eyes and hear in his voice the pain that he's gone through. So um, when he needs a chance to sort of get get himself back together, I'll jump in with my... Um, whatever. And y'all know sometimes I come from left field, so it's cool. So, Suja, when you, this, this gentleman you said you met, did you convert to Islam when you met him? To a great degree, because Islam was my only survival kit at that particular time. Islam taught me discipline. It taught me the knowledge of self. It made me proud for the first time, being a black man. Let me a ask, black human being. Let me ask you a question. And from there, I evolved as a human being. Before you went to prison, did you have a pop and mom and everybody at home, or were you sort of raising yourself on the streets? I never knew my real father, but I had a second father that was like my father, but I had a wonderful family. I had my mother that was always there for me, and she was always, irregardless of the changes that I went through and being in gang activities, my mother was always there to be supportive of me. And I don't know where I would be today if she'd have gave up on me. But it was due to her, her mother, my grandmother, that really raised me and gave me the, the warrior spirit. My mother was a good woman, but my grandmother was a warrior. She taught me how to stand up and fight for social justice. Okay, so I'm going to ask this question, and I'm going to move over so if the brother swing, I can block it. What kind of warrior commits robbery? What was you worrying for when you committed robbery? At that particular time, I was in gang activities. I was a young person, and it wasn't until I went off to prison for my last time at the age of 18 that I denounced my gang activity and joined a political movement, just like the Civil Rights Movement or the Panther Party, fighting for human rights and social justice. I was raised by Panthers in prison. They was the ones that taught me how to read and write and to stand up for social justice. Okay. Before we get there, though, I'm trying to figure out what led you to there. 
You said you were in gang activity. Back in the 60s, they didn't have the Bloods and the Crips, right? Right. They had the street gangs, like, you know, this holler, that holler, whatever, yeah. whatever. So that's the sort of gang that you were involved with? Is that what you Right. It, it was totally right. different from the Crips and Bloods. I mean, it had people's end up getting killed or hurt, but not at the extent that the Crips and Bloods. Right. And Back most of the people in my neighborhood, stuff, most of the people in my neighborhood at that particular time, I was in prison, became Crips. Okay. All of my neighborhood became Crips. And most of them became recipient, became part of the prison institution. And I was a little older, and I was already there. And a lot of them that grew up in my neighborhood was on the same street, came into prison and was on the same tier with me when I was fighting my murder trial and fighting for my life. Okay, we're going to get there. When you got that charge for the robbery that sent you in with the inde in indeterminate sentence, had you already had convictions, and that's why you got the indeterminate sentence? Or were there other charges that were no, attached to that? At robbery? that time, California, if you uh, commit a certain crime, that was the indeterminate sentence. Okay. Was and your victim a, a non-black person? It was, was your victim it, white? It was a black person. Okay. 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 Huh. And, that's interesting. And, and once I was sentenced to life, in prison, it was there in prison that I began to grow as a human being. And that's when I met Mr. Muhammad, and that's where my whole knowledge began to just germinate. And I denounced my past and joined a political movement for social justice, tried to follow the, the examples of the pamphlets, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, Shea Chavarro, and all the peoples that came before us that fought for human justice and and as a consequence of that, I was accused of killing the prison guard. And, and how they, did that go down? Well, in 1973, November 27, a day oh. I never forget. I had been in prison for almost three years at that particular time. Three whole years, that's it? And wow. A, and a guard was killed, and myself and the Gene Allen was accused of starting an uprising, a prison rebellion in that particular institution that I was in. Do you feel comfortable saying the institution? It was dual vocation institution in California. It's, is that still operating now? Yes, it's still it the is. same institution. It okay. just got worse. But at that particular time, I met Eugene Allen at an early age. He was a young man and I was a young man. And I remember how I meeting him because he was accused of being in an uprising in a juvenile hall, and he was always walked by himself. And I said, who's that young man? And I said, to, he said, that's a little brother that was accused of killing someone in juvenile hall in a riot that broke out, and a white guy was killed. And and he not the one that actually did it, and he just don't know what to do. And I said, I'm going to take him under my arms and go talk to him. But that was probably the worst thing I ever did because he ended up going on death row. Killed by association? By being with me. And he's probably the strongest human being. He was five foot seven, weighed about 150 something And he was one of the most strongest prisoners that I ever met. And when you say he's the strongest prisoner, what do you mean by what he said? What, what he endured? His spirit what he endured? Strong. During the time that we was going, I experienced four long trials. My first trial, the jury couldn't determine my guilt or innocence, or his guilt or innocence. It was there in our second trial. 
that the jury convicted us and sentenced us to die at San Quentin on a particular day until gas penetrated by our personal. We was young people, 22 and 23 years old. And we went off to death row and spent the next three years on San Quentin death row. And I can tell you, from 1973 when we was accused until 1981, 82, when I was released, he was the most strongest person that I ever met. You still keep in touch with him now? Theoretically, we have communication, and I just try to help everyone that is in prison. He's a part of a bigger movement. Let's talk a little bit about the incident that actually led to your landing on death row. Before I get into that, those of you out there listening, if anyone has a question, they want to reach out, say something to Mr. Graham, say something to Phyllis, say something to Kathy, or just sort of lend us your voice, lend us your thoughts, send us some compassion, you can reach out to us, 215-609-4301. Thank you, Black. Good catch. <laughs> you can text us at 215-435-4099. Hit us up on Facebook, For the People, Law in Plain Language. Twitter, tweet me, at Deborah Rennie Law. Or email, for the people at com. I swear to God, I'm not drinking. I'm just... It's, it's, y'all have to admit, Mr. Graham's story is very, very touching. Sure. It's very, very um, compelling. And sitting here next to his brother with this, these tears in his eyes is making me want to um, grab some Kleenex. So he was telling us about his having landed in prison in California for the robbery at the age of 18, meeting the brother that he met who turned his life around, taught him how to read, write, and how to be how, and awakened his social conscience about the the conditions in the prison. Is that right, my brother? That's right. The year of the Attica riots, I believe, was seventy two or seventy three. Is that right? Seventy one. Seventy one, and that was in before September. your conviction or your being my, arrested and falsely accused and the like. Is that right? Eighteen months later. Was there? This is a question that I've always always had. Was there any way or any sort of? Uh, um, Working together, if you will, of all the social groups in the institutions throughout the country. I know that when Attica folks were um, doing what they were doing, they were trying to reach out to the other institutions in New York and some of the federal institutions. Was there any communication between the groups as that goes? Most definitely. Most people look at the, what happened August 21st when George Jackson was killed in 1971. When Jonathan Jackson came into the courtroom and he was killed in August the 7th, 1970. When August, when the Attica Rebellion happened in September, people assumed that it was a spontaneous reaction. To a degree, it was a spontaneous reaction to get from under intolerant oppression. But, it but what people have to realize, it was all organized and planned in terms of us fighting for social justice. How it turned out, it wasn't what we wanted to, to be. Sure. All we wanted to be is a voice for those that was confined. Let we me, looked at prison as a small microcosm of what was going on in society. What was the, some of the more horrendous conditions in the prison that you and your brethren were fighting for that led well, to the administration zeroing in on you guys and targeting you guys? But because we became organizers. But my question before you get that, what made y'all decide to organize and, and do this sort of See, social uprising in the prison? We've seen black prisoners mm -hmm. and prisoners 
but black prison in particular. At that time in the 60s and 70s, it was a lot of racism and police brutality. <coughs> black prisoners was falling individually to the collective blows of racism and police brutality. And after so many years of seeing this happen and we falling individually to the collective blows of racism, black prisons decided to organize themselves in the 70s and say, if we're going to die, we're going to die collective with the possibility of winning. If we don't win, we're going to make sure when you watch your television, you're going to see us on the news, and you're going to recognize what's going on in the prison institution. And that's what gave rise to article. That's what gave rise to what I experienced right. as a human being. Okay, thank you for that. We have a caller. Caller, you're on the air. Thanks for calling for the people. Law and yeah, playing language. Who this? What's up, Thomas? How you doing? I'm doing well. I got to wait for um, Mr. Graham um, to, to give a little bit more spirit to that question you asked. Um, the spirit of uh, George Jackson, if he can deal with that, um, and the BLA, some of the issues um, that they were confronted with, I, I think that that would give a better opportunity for, for him to answer the question you asked a couple okay. minutes ago. Did you did you under, did you get where Brother, Brother Ford said? Mr. Ford, um, Suja started his own nonprofit, Exodus, and it's about and for returning citizens. So this is returning from prison to the society and helping them find their way back in and, and demanding and ensuring they have their rights too. In fact, Thomas and his group are responsible for the creation and the push for a constitution for returning citizens. I, I think what you were saying is uh, to have Mr. Graham talk about the killing of the Jackson is that a, is that a corrections officer well, or a prisoner? The, the, spirit, the spirit of George Jackson. You had a death of but who the is George Jackson? George Jackson and the uh, BLA movement on the inside. I, I think that him giving some um, uh, focus to that will will really give a, a better compre- comprehension to the question that you you were just asking him. Okay, thank you. Okay, so who's 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 George Jackson? Bro, let me try to. Uh, Explain it this way. I grew up under George Jackson in 1971, August the 21st, when George, I never met George personally. When George was murdered, he was one of the Soledad Three. And uh, he came out of Soledad Prison. I never met George, but I was in Soledad Prison when George was in San Quentin, when the San Quentin uprising began. It was George, people like George Jackson, the BLA, the Black Panther Party, the Black... Right, ba- hold on, hold on. Y'all can't be saying BLA, peanut butter, and jelly. What's BLA? BLA was the Black Liberation Movement. Thank and you. so many degrees, it was an all set of the Black Panther Party. But they were the inside arm of the Black Panther Party. Am I wrong? Yeah. And BLA. at the same time, you had the Black Gorilla Family. Right. There was an organization that originated out of prison and, and grew into a collective organization and unfortunately also morphed into a bunch of thugs well the background for the black gorilla family is one of the most fascinating prison groups i've ever read but i digress go ahead and finish telling us about brother jackson well well george jackson gave emphasis to what happened in attica people said oh it was just a spontaneous reaction what was going on in prison but it was a conscious action on to be part of prisoners. Prisoners got tired of being brutalized and, and mistreated. And as a consequence of that, prisoners start organizing themselves and fighting against racism, police brutality, and all the other evils that was going on in prison. And what? if you was political in prison, 
associated with George Jackson or the BLA or the Black Gorilla Family or the Black Panther Party. You had long incarceration and solitary you confinement your for mind. your political belief. Right. That's why I experienced four long trials. It when took you said the Soledad Three, George Jackson, who were the other two? It was George Jackson, Jonathan Crochet, and Fleeta Drummond. And these three and were... That was the beginning what? of a movement. Okay. And what did they do? They was accused of killing the prison guard. Okay. After three blacks was murdered in Soledad Prison in 1970, January or February the 13th. Presumably by the prison guards? It was the exercise, open, exercise yard open up in O-Wing, a wing that I was in later on, 18 months later. And they let blacks and whites out to the exercise yard. And once they was led out to the exercise yard, a fight broke out, a confrontation between white and black, just a fist fight. Three shots was fired. W.L. Nolan and three other black leaders, two other black leaders, was murdered on that day. And then from after that, that's when you heard about the struggle and the cause. And you heard about a man called George Jackson. But I want you all to know tonight, it was more than just a George Jackson. Their name just wasn't George Jackson. People who made the supreme sacrifice in the name of our movement that we'll never hear about. And that's what began our movement. And from then on, you heard about the Solidarity 7. And then you heard about the San Quentin 6. Right. Then you heard about our case. It was just a continuation just of black rebellious people standing up for social justice within the institution. Just so the listeners can follow sort of where you're going. And I know they feel your emotion because I feel it sitting here. The San Quentin Seven, the Soledad Six, these are the six sort of leaders that the administration or the police, as you call them, pointed out and said, you're the six troublemakers of this prison. We're going to coin you that and we're going to treat you the worst of all the prisoners. Is that right? That's From what I remember. And I also know that if anybody saw that movie about the, attic, the, the riots in Attica, there was a special some years ago on A&E where it, the, the special was a little bit more demonstrative, I think of what caused the Attica riot, but essentially the movie was dramatized. It had demonstrated things like poor sanitation conditions, no food, no water, but they failed to really address some of the real concerns, which were the maltreatment by the prison guards. The black prisoners, Hispanic prisoners, Asian prisoners routinely got beat and kicked up and, and, and just, wow, just really badly treated by the guards. And in most instances, the white prisoners were held a little bit more regard and racial riots and the light were still um were encouraged by the prison guards tom baby i'm sorry you're still on the line was there something you wanted to add to what brother graham was saying about mr jackson this um, yeah, I, I just think it was really important um which which you spoke about you said you read something and there was a documentary film a lot of what what occurs behind bars i did 10 years in pennsylvania didn't see half of, of what uh, Mr. Graham uh, saw, but a lot of what is read and, and the movies that, that are scripted don't tell the inside story to the survival that a man has to well, sure. um, um, go through in order to, you know, when, when black uh, inmates and white inmates are put in a certain area, the cops know, the guards know what's going to ensue. Sure. You know, and, and we're talking about survival, so a lot of folk, yeah, there's, you know, 90-some percent maybe of, of folks that are incarcerated, you know, did a crime, this, that, and the other. But we're talking about 
folks there for some, you know, ridiculous reasons. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter why why you're there. You're still a human being. You're still entitled to human rights, and you're still entitled to be treated the same way. And that's my point. You know, guards, you know, when you, you, one thing you have to worry about is, you know, the next inmate, but when you got to worry about the folks that are supposed to be providing some, you know, you're doing your time, some protection, you know, just give me some food, I want to do my time and get out of here. Those are the ones for the worst that you have to deal with. That's why I brought yep. up George Jackson. Yes, sir. And that's why I wanted uh, Mr. Graham to deal with the Solid Bad 7 issue, the spirit of the BLA, because there's a lot of untold story of what really goes on, especially in California. I know, most especially. especially. In California. And, and, brother, Mr. I appreciate Ford, you I... asking the question because those people are responsible for me being here today. I'm not here because of the system. I'm here because... Today, because of peoples like Dr. King, the BLA, the Black Panther Party, the Black Guerrilla Family, all those groups that they declared in the 70s and the 60s as terrorist groups, I wouldn't be here today talking to you all if it wasn't for those groups bagging my plate. It was conspiracy against me as a human being in prison. I was a young man. The guards put a contract on me. Who was the one that stood up for me? It was the ones that they called BLA, BGF, and Black and Black Gorilla Family and Black Panthers. Those were the people that stood up. And I'm forever grateful to those people. And their spirit will live on physically. They are dead. They're no longer with us, a lot of them. But those who are dead will never be forgotten. And they made the supreme sacrifice in the name of our movement. And as long as I'm living, their spirit will continue to live. Mr. Ford, baby, thank you so much for your comments. Thank you for your um, contributions, as always. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Thomas Ford of Exit Us. Thanks, Thomas. Ladies and gentlemen, for for some of you who like me, um, well, strike that. I'm a little bit more aware of what Brother Graham's speaking of because of my history, my background, and my being a nosy sort of bitch. I like to read about things and get an idea of what folk things are about. And having spent the three years that I did working in community corrections and in corrections, the one thing that struck me was the lack of qualifications for corrections officers. I mean, you've got youngsters 18 years old applying to be state corrections officers, and they're hiring them. They have no idea how to wipe their own ass. They're damn sure not going to know how to talk and communicate and, and, and be um, responsible for the charge of other people. And you hear all these um, pro-prison rights folks so lock them up and throw away the key but at the end of the day as thomas said in one of the shows when he came on with us a lot of those folks who are in jail now are coming home what are we doing in jail to prepare them to come home are we having all of our jail staff by a bunch of ignorant uneducated insensitive boobs who treat these guys like animals and open up the doors and let them come back to us and then we're surprised because they act like animals. You treat a man like an animal, he's going to act like a goddamn animal. You treat him like a fucking man, he's going to act like a man. I digress. So, Brother Graham, I have a question from a person who texts us and wants to know, how many years did you do inside? Because, damn, you got her in tears. She's in tears. How many years did you do inside altogether? I did. 11 years of my life at one time in prison, but I had been off in and out of prison as a young juvenile from the age of 16. So I probably did over 15 years of my life in prison. But I spent 11 years when I was a young man convicted. Out of those 11 years, three of them was on California's death row. I was scheduled to die for being a political prisoner. 
prisoner. And my lawyers thought I was crazy because I wanted to be tried not as a, a criminal, but I said I wanted to be tried as a political prisoner and a prisoner of war. And my lawyers said, we're going to get a doctor to come here. And I said, that's going to be a specialist that's going to articulate, you know, philosophically how I feel about things. He's talking about a doctor because he thought I was crazy because I wanted because to be tried. Because you wanted to, you wanted to, you wanted the state of California and this country to adhere to the Geneva Convention and That's all the exactly. other conventions on how prisoners of war are supposed to be treated. And back in the sixties and seventies, that's exactly what was going on. It was a war on civil rights for minorities. So in my second trial, I was convicted and sentenced to die, and I went for the next three years and stayed on San Quentin's death row. And I was perfectly happy not being on death row. But I was perfectly happy they weren't able to beat me down, even though they tortured me as a human being. I'm not talking about psychological torture. I'm talking about physical torture. I can remember the times when they called George Jackson's name out. Each time they beat us down, they stripped us naked. And I mean, they physically abused us and beat us down. And that's what gave us a backbone to stand up. Like Dr. King said, a person can't ride your back unless it is bent. I know, that's right. So what we did is start organizing ourselves. And we was almost like suicidal. We said we're tired of dying to the collective blows of racism and police brutality. What we're going to do is organize ourselves. Although we may not win, but we're going to bring it to your living room door. When you get it set up to eat your dinner at night, you're going to see what's going on in prison. So that was our whole plan, to expose what was going on in prison so that we can come to a conclusion. No matter what a person or human being have done, he's still a human being. Amen, brother. And he needs to be treated as a human being. I know how I was treated. I spent nine years of my life in solitary confinement. I remember the days that I did, it was perfectly okay. I never tried to practice suicide when I was in prison. But there was times when it got so bad that it was okay with me if I just went to sleep and never woke up. So where did you go to find your strength? You went inward? And in the people's. People's consulates. It was little students when I was sentenced to die and went to death row. It was young little kids that I never knew. They was in eighth and ninth grade. And when I went off the death row, they was the first one to come up to see me. They said, Mr. Graham, we're going to get you out of here. Wow. And wow. I said to myself, what can some young high school students do against the power of the state of California? My friends, for the next seven years, those students stayed with me. They would come to any radio station, any church. They sold cookies. They sold everything that they could possibly do. And they continued to make sure that the public never forget about us and that we were political prisoners and we wasn't wow. criminals. And as a consequence, the Supreme Court of California overturned our conviction. And in my third trial, I thought when they overturned our conviction, I thought I would be going home very soon. But it took me two more years. My, first tri my third trial ended in a hung jury. The jury couldn't determine my guilt or innocence. The same evidence used in all three trials? Yes, but it got worse because... A lot of people start turning against the state and how they was coerced to testify against us because we was political prisoners and they wanted to make us look like terrorists. So it was there in my fourth trial and that was probably the worst, the hardest part of all my year. I come in when I was 18. I was in my 30s. And I had did all the time fairly easy compared to a lot of other prisoners. But when it came to my fourth trial, and they said the jury had a verdict, I couldn't conceive how I could, if the jury found me guilty, how could I go back to San Quentin and start all over again? I was fortunate. And I can remember like yesterday when the jury 
had me to stand up and say, we find a defendant not guilty. Was that you and your brother? My co-defendant, LaJean Allen. And what was the demographic of the racial demographic of that jury? Well, you would think we have a jury of our peers. Because the case was overturned, we had many arguments, but the Supreme Court looked and seen how they systematically excluded all African-Americans off the jury. So they instantly just looked at that and said, you can't do it this way. Because African-Americans that was on the jury, that was supposed to be a part of the jury, they were systematically excluded. African-Americans that had their father was a police officer or a judge, because they was black, they was automatically excluded off our jury. They was asked a little trivial questions and and things like that and i clearly understand why the prosecutor would do such a thing because of the racism in our case whites come in there in the in the courtroom saying all blacks look alike but at the same time they were making identity you know you know definition on who did what and um and after a period of time a lot of these guys start recanting their statements and it was there after my fourth trial when it finally came to an end. When and they I, asked you, was your jury all black, all white, or mixed? All of my juries. And you would think because the Supreme Court overturned our conviction based upon that. You would think my next two trials, we would have some African-Americans or peoples of color on our jury. My brothers and sisters and my peoples of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania who are listening tonight. My third trial was Lily White. They couldn't determine my guilt or innocence. My fourth trial was Lily White, and I gave up on looking for African Americans. I knew the prosecutor. Out of four trials, I never kicked a black person off our jury. They could be for the death penalty. They could be for the police department and everything else. We never even bothered. We let them stay on the jury because always looking for some fair-minded people. You can be pro-police pro, pro or whatever, pro-prosecutor. As long as you be fair, we thought we would be okay. It was there in our fourth trial that I gave up on looking for African-American. I told my lawyer, I said, Mr. Larson, I said, I just want 12 fair-minded human beings. I said, I'm tired of looking for African-American. That says not in the cards. And it was there in my fourth trial, and I can remember like yesterday, it was one guy, he was a, a white guy, was 30-something years old. He was vice president of the Bank of America. And my lawyer wanted me to get rid of him. He said, he's too conservative, he's going to send you back to prison. He said, get rid of him. I said, Mr. Larson, I can't give you a deep philosophical explanation on why I want him on my jury, other than the fact that I think he's a fair-minded human being. And that was probably one of the greatest decisions I ever made in my life because he was the one that became the jury foreman, led wow. the campaign for our release. Wow. And I can remember when I stood up and they said, not guilty. And I said to myself, after 12 long, long years, my greatest nightmare has finally come to an end. My friends who are listening tonight, I've been out over 30 some years. Each and every day, I suffer. Now, the day goes by, I don't think about capital punishment and wrongful conviction and people who are in prison that they don't deserve to be in prison. I don't do this for myself, I do it for my deeper self, my fellow human beings. And when I do it for myself, Fellow human being, I'm doing something for myself. And, and I want to add that um, Mr. Graham was in Philadelphia for another event and graciously decided that he was going to come and do our show tonight. After he literally is leaving 
right after the show. This was our show was supposed to go until nine thirty tonight, but they have to be out of here at nine o'clock for him to catch a flight. So we are truly appreciative of your coming in tonight and giving after, us your time right, and giving us your time. And this is G Town Radio. If you have a question, our number is two one five. Six zero nine four three zero one. What's the and This is G Time Radio. That's supposed to be her advertisement. <laughs> Let's show her how to do it. You're listening to www.gtownradio.com. The what? Sound from German All right, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly what I said. But I, we, we are not going to take a break. Tonight. No, we're not. But I just, I, I just need to say that sitting here and not just watching Brother Graham and hearing Brother Graham, but you can feel the passion, the compassion, the pain, the wisdom and everything just rolling off of them i mean i i'm i'm trying to slide away a little bit because i'm not trying to cry on the air but damn i mean and he's what's amazing some, is, is, is is that he's been out for 30 years and, and he's, he's not angry and he's not one of those people who just went off and decided to destroy things but he stood up and decided to take a stand and and, and do something and be something and tell us some stories i mean i can't imagine myself going to prison period you know what i'm saying but then to end up on death row behind some bullshit? My God, I just can't imagine it. So if I don't say this to you before you go, I just want to say God bless you. I'm so glad that you were saved and that you were preserved to be here with us at this moment on this station and to share with us what you've shared with us. Thank you from all of us in the We The People family. Um, I wanted to put, pose a question to the listening audience as it relates to what um, Brother Graham was speaking about. And for those of you that don't know, in the 60s and 70s, there wasn't just a civil rights movement for those of us on the outside of the bars. That was more visible to folks, more palatable, I guess, to folks, because you can hear it and you can see it. But imagine the racism that was prevalent on the inside, how horrible it must have been on the, on the inside. On the outside, it was bad enough. But being behind bars, sentenced by the state, being controlled by the state. Imagine what inmates had to have gone through. And imagine how horrible it had to be for groups like the Black Liberation Army, the Black Guerrilla Family. When you see those um, prison movies now that were made in the 90s and the 80s, they portray the Black Guerrilla Family as that big thug organization who goes up against all the Latino mobs and all the skinheads and all the other prison gang groups. But for those of us that like to read about history, the, BG, the BGF really did start as a political group. And I think after a while, when you got some of the newer, more sort of worldly criminals coming inside and taking over and joining, that's when it sort of got muddled and uh, the sort of way got unclear for what BGF was about. But in the beginning, in its roots, it really was a let's make life inside a prison for not just black prisoners, but prisoners in general better. Let's just make sure we live in humane conditions. Is that... Is that right, Brother Graham? Did I did I did I get that right? I think you got it perfectly <laughs> well. And if you guys know the 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 actor Edward James, almost remember him. He did a phenomenal movie called American Me. And if you've never seen that movie, after you hear tonight's show, go to uh, what's that called on demand or Netflix and put in American Me, and it gives you a very poignant um, demonstration of the existence of these groups. The Mexican Mafia, the Black Gorilla Family, the Skinheads, the Aryan Nation, all those things. And it portrays these groups as thugs out to kill each other, sell drugs and the like. Believe it or not, all of these groups, their, their origins were to protect themselves. At one point, 
whites were the majority in prison. Because with black folk back in the day, we were slaves. They could just kill us. We didn't go to jail. In California, blacks and Latinos started being the majority of the folks that were being, lo- being arrested and locked up. And the white folks decided they had to get together to protect themselves. So a lot of these groups have a political sort of start. But, you know, after a while, they got greedy or whatever it was. And the reason for being sort of morphed away from what their initial roots are. So this movie is really, really impressive. It's really, really poignant, and it's really going to give you a better understanding of really now in the 90s forward how life in prison was. But if you look at it and think about what Brother Graham has told us, imagine 30 years ago when there were no rules, there wasn't the American Correctional Institution and all those folks who were telling prisons how to um, adhere to certain rules so they can get their accreditation. It, it's a really good movie, so you need to check it out. Brother Graham, if there was something that you wanted to leave with our listeners that was representative of you and, and others like you who survived the, the horrors of prison life generally, death row in specific, that leaves you sitting here in front of us now as this compassionate, sort of peaceful teacher, what would that be? And do me a favor, speaking to the mic, because this is important. We need to get this piece. Well, I'm just really thankful, not for the opportunity to be in society, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to be in society so I can continue to battle, to fight. And those who listen tonight, who have heard my voice, may feel sympathy for me or whatever. But I ask you not to feel sympathy for me. I'm okay. I'm doing the best that I can. If you want to empathize with our cause, that is great. But I'd like to leave you with words of a person that I fought for. And he was eventually executed out of the Carolinas. Because a lot of people try to feel sorry for me. And, and I remember when he was executed and the words that he sent out. And I can't remember all the words that he said, but I remember the words that touched my heart. And I want to leave it with the people of Pennsylvania. And it goes something like this. The most happiest of peoples don't necessarily have the best of things. They just make the best out of what comes their way. Happiness comes to those who struggle, those who fight, and surely to those who have searched. For only they can appreciate the importance of those who have touched their lives. We can't go on well in life, America, until we overcome our past failures, heartaches, and disappointments. The most brightest of futures would always be based on a forgiven or forgotten past. We can't go on until we accept the total reality of being who we are. Dr. King helped me tremendously in overcoming my bitterness as I read Dr. King, he said, if you don't totally forgive, you can never totally love again. And as I got out of prison, I wanted to totally love again. And I said, how can I follow Dr. King after what has happened to me? And I read a chapter where Dr. King say, he or she who is totally divorced or the power to fully forgive is forever divorced of the power to fully love again. I wanted to fully love 
Therefore, I forgave. And what made him import, what made me get the motivation to forgive, he let me off the hook. He said, you have to love everyone, but you don't have to like nobody. <laughs> so that's what I want to leave yeah. you with. Before we leave with that, I wanted to ask Phyllis, who's here, not only as a board member of Witness to Innocence. Yeah, I'm putting her on blast. Get over it. She's also Suja's wife. And from what Kathy said, the story of their meeting was really interesting. In less than five minutes, Kathy, tell us the interesting story of your meeting, Suja. Phyllis. Is. Phyllis, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And no, he's not a bigamist. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a long story. It's an incredible story. I came as an activist to California. I was part of the Attica Rebellion on the outside in New York. Wow. And I was a young woman, white woman growing up in Iowa. Went to school in the late 60s. Is Iowa in America? It sure is. <laughs> it's in middle America. And it was an it's the ability of people to change and understand and grow. And I learned that New York is part of the movement. It was the anti-war movement. It was the women's movement. It was the gay movement. It was Latino, the Young Lords Party, Black Panther Party. We're in and out of the prisons in Attica. And I got involved with that and helped write a newsletter, prison newsletter. You asked about how people organized at, through Attica and how they communicated. They weren't allowed to write to each other. So they wrote, we had them write to us. I worked with the National Lawyers Guild and we were in the basement, had a midnight special, put it together as a newsletter, sent it into prisons. Not knowing back in 1972, Suja was reading those newsletters. So I moved to San Francisco, 79, and I, I worked as a nurse in the San Francisco County Jail where Suja was a prisoner and was fighting his third trial. I'd worked at Rikers Island as a nurse before. I'd done work around prison work from political prisoners. And everybody told me, stay away from him. He, he's out to kill everybody in the white race. Wow. Uh, of course, that made me more interested in him. Y'all get it? She's white. <laughs> from Iowa. Um, <laughs> and we've, as a nurse there, it was, of course, not safe for me after a while when it became very clear that I was in alliance with him and I was fighting for his freedom and respected him and part of the struggle and, and left that position, worked on his defense committee. Wow. And went to his fourth trial where he walked out of the courtroom as an innocent man. Wow. What, what, he, he was released that day? He was released that day. It was hard to get him out. Right. Amazing. Because he had been so long... The, um, the, the marshal's upstairs. He was in his cell where he spent so many days, and he just couldn't get packed up and leave. It was just so overwhelming. Wow. But since we're short on time, it's a long story, but we have three wonderful children, wow. three wonderful grandchildren, wow. and one on, on the way. way. Wow. A, a girl. A girl. Oh, three boys. Girl. So how long have you guys been married? Well, we're not legally married. You're married. <laughs> We've been together. They've been together for... 30 years. 32 years. Wow. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty married. Pretty married. Pretty married. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's pretty married. Well, our love, our respect, our reverence, our everything out to Suja Graham, Phyllis Prentice, and Kathy Spillman, Witness Innocence. Thank you so much. 
So just keep doing the work that you do. Sure. More people hear, see, and feel you. That's how people know because knowledge is power. Is that right, my brother? One other word. Sure. Witness the innocent today. Witness the innocent tomorrow. Witness the innocent forever. As long as I live, the spirit of witness the innocent would live in the interest of all humanity. God bless you, Suja. Phyllis. Kathy. What? Thank you for bringing them. <laughs> Thank you for coming. God bless you guys. Can I just give out our website? You sure Oops. can. Please do. Okay. www.witness2innocence. That's I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E dot O-R-G. Please look us up. And for folks that do not have the internet, your phone number is... 267-519-4584. You can also find them on Facebook if you need yes. to reach them and you cannot find them. You can always reach us Reach us here at the station at 202. Oh, my She's goodness. 215-609-4301. <laughs> There's also a website for Suja that I found, www.sujagram.org. S-H-U, J as in Juliet, Alpha Alpha, G-R-A-H-A-M. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big, y'all can't, but just pretend like you're saying a big hand, love and kisses and warmth and good thoughts out to Suja Graham, Phyllis Prentice, and Kathy Spillman of Witness Innocence. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy your um, train ride home. Um, We are going to take a quick 30-second turnaround break just not even that long I'm, I'm I'm like the only one on my page here I'm not really sure what's going on so just give us a second to um, get ourselves together we'd be right back well actually the rest of us are together I'm not sure what, what she's doing but the rest of us are together about time for somebody Okay, folks, so the rest of it so knew, everyone format knew. Formatted the show a little bit. They just didn't tell a bitch, and I didn't know what was happening. So. Well, she don't <laughs> anyway, listen to um, us. Suja and Prentice have to, I mean, Phyllis have to make their train to MD to Merlin. It's not Maryland, it's Merlin. And before they go, oh. though, they wanted to hear the um, wisdom and just raw talent of our in-house poet, Miss Black. So, Miss Black. She did right, a special right. for Mr. Graham and his peoples. I got bear with me. I just wrote this one. Try to get through it though. Left for dead. Bullied into non-existence by justice. Life becoming a distant memory by the system we trusted unjustly. Truth unsaid. Lies being fought for with rage and war in prison without proper cause, but seeming so sure of blood shed upon innocent hands, cast away without a second thought of innocent. Man, I can't imagine this. But then again, I can because it happens right before my eyes so often it no longer comes with surprise. People die without reason. And we allow the changing of seasons. It doesn't embed our minds or rattle our sleep. We just live on continuously until it happens too close to home I can't imagine 
Children sprouting into adulthood without a father they only know through a glass or a mother they only hear through a phone. But here in America, this is our song. No justice, impurity, no love, no loyalty, no honor, no security from homeland security. Perhaps there's hope. The exonerated exoneration made a statement to this nation. We are still willing to stand for what we believe in. Transparent is the justice system's treason. We will fight for this death without reason. This I didn't imagine. I've seen it or rather bear witness to the release of the innocent left for dead fighting within an inch of life for life left for dead but still alive. Wow. Thank you, Black. Wow, Black. Thank you, my brother. I want that too. Wow. 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 You made my year. Wow, Suja Graham, you, you made mine. Phyllis <laughs> Prentice, Kathy Spillman, David Love, Jennifer Castellanos, I got it right, and all of you out there, members of Witness to Innocence and all those groups out there who are fighting to exonerate the falsely accused, who are fighting to just ensure that folks who are incarcerated have and live a humane existence. We want to thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. Our guests have to take their trains, but we are starting our new format, and our producer has promised that she has something special in store for you. We'll be right back in 30 seconds. Thank you. And Okay. Yes, this is the producer. We will not be back in 30 seconds, but we'll be back after a brief musical <laughs> break. <laughs> um, thank you. I was you. trying to get you, but I didn't get your hand doctor, producer. Thank you guys for coming in, and thank you for staying you past the, the, the day and, and not honoring us with your presence. What's up, what's up? This is Deborah Rainey, the Compassionate Lawyer, bringing you For the People every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. on gtownradio.com.
Welcome back to For the People, Law in Plain Language. I know all y'all old heads out there knew that was Stevie Wonder. Don't you worry about the thing. We want to thank those who were blessed in being able to hear that heart-wrenching story of Brother Suja Graham, his wife Phyllis Prentice, and Kathy Spillman. They had to make a quick exit to catch their train back to Maryland. Um, Brother Graham was here earlier today speaking at Temple University and various spots throughout the state trying to impress upon the legislature, those that are that oversee the prisons, the need to outlaw um, solitary confinement. And from what I understand from the folks who were present, he once again gave a powerful speech with respect to his experiences on solitary, um, in solitary confinement during the time of his incarceration. I um, made some comments with respect to the Black Gorilla family, the BLA, and other groups like that who got their initial starts as bona fide um, political movements. These were bona fide movements for prison reform, for human reasons, for humane treatment by the administration, the COs that the inmates call cops on all inmates, but in particular back in the 60s and 70s on African-American inmates. And we received a text message from Brother Ford because at some point I made the comment that the black, black gorilla family had morphed into thugs or something along those lines. Let me be perfectly clear for those of you who are um, students of the political movement as it relates to humane treatment in the in, inside the walls. I did not mean to say that the uh, genesis, the groups, the original groups, that is, the BLA, the black gorilla family and those like them started as thugs. I didn't mean to say that at all. But let's be real. Now in 2000, if there is a contingency of BGF left anywhere in this nation, what political movements are they involved with? What political ideologies are they holding on to? So, Mr. Ford, if you care to text me back and, um, and, and, and give us a shout, because he wrote, not thugs, revolutionaries. Jesus, Mahatma Gandhi, Malcolm X, Martin King. I'm not sure who Martin King. You're talking about Martin King, the... Uh, the Mormon or Dr. Martin Luther King, John the Baptist, Tyrone Wirtz, Angela Davis, Ung. <laughs> He's just showing off his knowledge. That's all that is. Ung Rayon Suku and Nelson Mandela. Well, let's separate out some of the folks who we know a little bit about. Nelson was sent to jail for political reasons. Nelson wasn't sent to jail for committing criminal acts. Does that make a difference? It does to a small extent. If you don't agree with me, you know the number, 215-609-4301. Am I saying that if you went to jail as a criminal, you couldn't have had a political awakening and changed your ideology and your thoughts? No. Brother Graham was a prime example of that. He went to jail at 18 for robbing somebody of $35, and I think he tried to admit it was 80 <coughs> using a gun. And he had a political awakening. And what was amazing was that the sentence was... An indefinite sentence. Wow. You have, in Pennsylvania, we have sort of an indefinite sentence, but only as it relates to juveniles. Well, Juvenile court have... Right. And so that's pretty scary to know that back then he got an indefinite sentence for robbery. And it may have had to do with the fact that there was a gun involved and the... he was a brown man. And the person he robbed was a brown man, too which was surprising. I thought the guy was white to have gotten uh, 
indefinite mm-hmm. sentence. But we were hoping to bring shows like this to you so that we can sort of get on that bandwagon to try to change your, not just change, but sort of educate folk on those hot button topics out there, particularly the death penalty. And what I was meant to say about our show that we did two weeks ago, Witness to Innocence with David Love, Phyllis um, Spillman, and Veronica Castellanos, and I keep saying that to make sure, of Witness Innocence, we talked about the death penalty. We actually had a caller who was a, a proponent of the death penalty, and she said something that was interesting. She said, so long as there was an orgy of evidence to prove that person's guilt, and they committed a crime like rape or molestation of children, then it's okay to put that person to death. And it's important for when folks call the show, even if I don't agree with their opinion, that they have an opportunity to voice what it is that they're, that they're feeling. And you all know I wanted to say to her, who's having an orgy, just to, just to throw her off her game. But I didn't do that. I was being nice. I was being well, friendly. You know, and, and I think anyone that knows and loves Deborah Rennie and knows her lovely side, I was shocked that um, she did not... Is your mic on? Because we can't hear you in our headphones. Okay. And she's looking at me like, I'm getting my PhD. Yes, I am. <laughs> so I'm not sure what I said. What did I say? I don't know. If those are those that know Deborah, those of y'all that know Deborah know something. Oh, that they probably will equally shock that Deborah did not go off on the caller. So um, it just goes to show that she does give folks a voice so don't be scared no be scared be scared be scared but don't let that stop you from texting and calling in so thomas this is directed to you and others who um have a sort of um education if you will about the struggle particularly the struggle inside for the humane rights from my limited knowledge and uh, education that I sought on my own as it relates to this movement, I thought that the riot in Attica, the folks who organized that and the other upstate New York riots, their intention was not just to single out African Americans, but for prison rights in general. So what I would be interested in hearing is from those people, anybody out there, John Dye, if you're listening, Brother Rashid, if you're listening, Folks who did time in those in-between years, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, if they've noticed a change in the treatment of prisoners, whether black prisoners, brown prisoners, white prisoners, or whatever, and, Thomas, this is directly at you, so pick up the phone and call us. Is there still that need, you were inside for 10 years, for blacks to maintain their protective group, their protective gang, whites to do the same, Latinos do the same and to exclude one another from those inner inner circles. I'm just curious to know if that need still exists. Every time you see a prison movie, you see folks in their gangs, even in California. But but how much of that mirrors the um, the way it is on the outside? Huh, that's an interesting point, particularly in Philly. This is one of the more segregated cities I've ever lived well, in. Well, you know, and I'll tell that's a story, and, and, thank go- and thank goodness our daughter Niall does not listen to the show. She says she does not <laughs> want to hear it. Um, so she went to a bunch of little private schools, and at some point she went to Central High School. And she was really excited to go because all the schools that she had went to were culturally diverse, and she wanted to go there because it was a whole Richie Cunningham thing with Happy Days, but that's another story. Anyway, so she goes there, and Central has one of the most diverse populations, probably in the city. 
So she went there and she would walk up to these groups and go, hi, I'm now. How are you doing? And they would and look yeah, at she her. Really is that nerdy. <laughs> they would look at her. She said like she had like she had three heads. And so it was the first time that she was in an environment that was as diverse, but it was segregated within that diversity. Huh. And Central prides itself on saying that they have all this diversity, but there's nothing that's done that makes them get tear together down or tear down and tear down those walls. I mean, that incident happened in South Philly, I want to say a year ago. With the Asian school. With the Asians. Wow, with when the Asians. we did, before we left for somewhere, I did a candle like vigil something. For victims of homicide. Victims of homicide. And a young lady was there, just was a friend of hers got killed or she was she, she, no, she, she got beaten up she, was one she of got one, beaten one up got and beaten she up could not even right she could not I even i was so moved by her speaking several people had to come up and kind of get her through the the evening and kind of like um mr graham this evening it was that touching but it still happened so i'm not that shocked that the inside looks like the outside and acts like the outside wow that's a really, I never even thought about it. Like, that's a really interesting point. Wow. So those of you out there listening, I know y'all got something to say. You got something you want to offer. Reach out to us, 215-609-4301. Text line, 215-435-4099. Email, forthepeople at com. Hit us up on Facebook, For the People Law and Playing Language. Follow me on Twitter at Law. And, so I'm and, gonna go ahead. And, um, before um, Mr. Graham left and his wife, his wife said that he does do Facebook a lot. He does Facebook more than he does. He does Facebook more than he does the website. So if I you want to reach out to him. So touched by him, I didn't do my usual newsy sort of drawing and pulling and all those other things. Oh, yeah, 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 because he was so because he was so emotional just sitting here. I mean, the tears were just rolling. And interestingly enough, and what he said was it's been 30 years. Right, exactly, 30 years. So, and I said to him before he left that he needed to think about hooking up with some sort of a um, um, support group therapist or something so that he can get some of that out. And, and, and no doubt, that's a lot of pain. But ladies and gentlemen, it was amazing to see him sitting here. You didn't feel the anger, the terror, the bitterness, all those things that you would expect for what he's been through. Said so that was amazing, but I think that all of us, once you go through some trauma, that 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 post-traumatic stress disorder is a bastard. And, and even thirty and, years and later, a, and, a, and a very very jealous bastard, and a very very encompassing bastard, and you need to not ignore it. So I said to him and his wife, and gave them some information that I think that they should probably reach out to a therapist or someone so he can have a a, a different sort of forum with him, which to share his pain. Not just always telling everybody else, but being able to tell someone and getting some love and some but feedback. But you, you know from what? That. Even with that, I'm not sure if that's possible. Sure. I mean, I know that I've mentioned on another show that I'm a survivor of domestic violence, and I am 35 years out. And there's sometimes, and I tell my story walking. And there's sometimes that I can tell that story, and I'm fine. And other times, I'm not fine. And when I started doing one on a more regular basis, so I can't even imagine what he was he's going through because he's doing this all the time. When I started at the beginning of the year becoming more involved with women against abuse and telling my story, it was, okay, if I'm going to them tomorrow, I can't plan anything for the next day because I was a basket case. So, I, I, and, and I can't even, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to compare my story to his, but 35 years later, they have that kind of emotion still there and the tears pulling and you have to stop and pull yourself together. 
speaks to what he went through. And I, and we're all just grateful that he was able to be exonerated and be and get off a of death row and not be killed because look what we would have lost out on had right. he been. Um, the purpose of tonight's show was mainly to give Mr. Graham a voice, a platform, so that he can share his story. Um, and we are hoping to bring others like Suja Graham to the show to give their, ex- their, their, their stories and to give us an opportunity to sort of delve into their experiences and what they've been through. So as we do these shows, we're going to be looking for our faithful listeners out there to call in with your comments and your concerns and some ideas on other sort of shows that you'd like to hear. And since we only have about 15 minutes left, some new happenings that are happening with the show. If y'all remember before we went on vacation, we were talking about doing a competition to find an independent artist to write our theme music for us. It is to be um, music only, no singing, no, no vocals, just instrumental. There are no limits, no rules, except it must be your own original work. Don't bring us somebody else's shit and say it's mine because we're not buying it. Actually, we are, we are primarily looking for an instrumental. Um, the music that we play now, that it's always in the background, which is Jay-Z, Jay-Z. my first song. The instrumental, the instrumental versions of Jay-Z's my first song. And when we first heard it, we both said it's funky, it's fresh, it's got attitude. Like Deborah, huh? So yeah, that's <laughs> oh my god. So we're looking for that, but we are looking for something like that that also has words. When we did the the barber shop, well, just just for special occasions, she's over there rolling her eyes. I'm saying the shaking only words her we head. need is for the people well, by Miss Black. This is the thing: when we did the barber shop show, and I did a mini cast of the photos, I used Jay Z's my first song, but I used the version with words. So if there's words to it, it can be. Includes. So I'm looking for both, but primarily that song that's going to play on the background every single week. There will be a cash prize, <laughs> and we want it to be so tight that when folk hear it, they know it's for the people about to come after that. You know what I mean? And don't forget, people out there, if you're interested in doing this, you gotta you gotta be able to marry well with our with our poet Black and her for the people poem that she wrote especially for the show. So if you need more information, you want more of a sort of direction on how you should be going, what you should be thinking about, reach out to us for the people at com. Hit us up on the Facebook page. You can reach the um any any member of the of the show on the for the people at Deborah Law um website. In addition to the um contest that we're doing to find theme song we are contemplate, contemplating, what the hell did I say? <laughs> We're contemplating a sort of, uh, Renee called the show the DA in Facebook. I'm not sure where the hell she got that terminology from. Because that but, was my creativity. Okay. Which was, Ruby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're contemplating a show where um, a new sort of happening, occurrence now in the criminal justice system here in, in Philadelphia County particularly, these text messages, Facebook messages, MySpace messages, all those things are finding their way into criminal court cases being as um, introduced as evidence by the district attorney's office. Not very often, but sometimes by the defense attorney. And at first I balked at the idea that Renee brought up of having a show around that. But I think thinking about it, listening to her and really playing back what she said, it really makes a lot of sense. So if anybody out there has any ideas, you think you're an expert in Facebook, MySpace, Skyping, texting, all that stuff. Or, if, up and let us or know. if Facebook or Twitter 
and or any of those things, you had to go to court, and the DA produced it, kind of smacked that ass. Um, wow, give us a call. We'd ass. like to hear your she story. Ass is in the Bible. So now she that she's said, getting she her PhD, she can say, smack that, that ass. Smack that ass. Smack that ass. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, the idea behind the 930 format was so that we didn't have to rush so much in getting our information out to you. So that In the 930 format, which means that starting tonight, we are on from 8 to 930. Yeah. And I think they figured it out because it's 920 and we're still well, talking. Well, no, we've done that before, but uh, now we're just Now doing we're doing it legally <laughs> and purposefully, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, by the by, two weeks ago when we were on the air, I got a text message from, um, we're not going to say who she is. Hi, Mom. <laughs> and she said, I need to wipe my wife's, wa- I need to borrow soap. I actually brought a bar of soap, but I left it in the car. I was going to suck on the soap and talk on the microphone. <laughs> but anyway, for those of you who um, are new listeners to the show, it was my um, endeavor, and I'm still working on it, to not swear so much and, and um, to sort of try to clean up my language. But, you know, sometimes there's just no substitution for shit, damn, or, or fuck. <laughs> Is that better, Mom? Fuck. Can I say fuck? No. But since can't. there's no FCC, I should be able to say fuck. But that's going to be my new she word. She's going to say, say, say fudge. <laughs> fudge is corny. I can't say corny. <laughs> fuck up, fuck up. And Miss Black has a new title. She does. And her new title is... Da- <laughs> play the background music, baby. Dun, dun, dun. By the bride, Serena Soul Brown. What's up, girl? What's going on? The new title is... Da- and they're all looking at me. Creative writer. It was something else. Content writer. Oh, because all right. the um, <laughs> all of the when you go to Podomatic in those place places and read about the recap of the show, all of that is written by Miss Black before she leaves the show each night. So we needed to come up with a title to go with that name. And I am still by gone by darn it. I'm not sure what by darn it is. I am still looking for a musical director. I suck when it comes to the music selections. I am told that I play the same six songs. So <laughs> if you think every, that... Now, every Tuesday, one of them has to be Gil Scott Heron. I didn't do it tonight. I purposely didn't. Oh, so point. if you think that you have some DJ skills and kind of up on some current music and some classics and can fit the music into whoever our guest is and our topic for the evening... Please reach out to us. I'm and understand, y'all, don't be signing up because you're trying to get paid. This is a volunteer show. It's about the people for the people. And like Black said in that poem, not for no check, but to address how to survive and win in these streets, hit us up. Please don't contact us if you're expecting to get paid. No one you hear on this mic gets paid. Our guests come in, give up their time so you can hear about them and know what they offer. We come in and give up our time so we can make sure you understand the law and break it down for you in plain language. In other words, you're not getting paid. And for the if music, you want to volunteer to do it, please reach out to us. We're really serious. Vote any aspiring interns out there, you can put that on your on your radio on your um on your resume. If you are and, a and you don't even have to come into the show to do that, you can just email Renee um, music musical selections. But understand the music has to be tasteful because at the end of the day, we are a uh, legal show, legal information show. We had a photographer, Miss Q, and she had some stuff she had to do. So we're also looking for someone who can be here Tuesday nights at 
starting at 10 minutes to 8 and lasting until 9.35 to take photographs and help us keep our photographs. Yeah, and, and that is not CP time, 10 minutes to 8. Yeah, that means we're for real 10. That means like 740. 740. Or uh, 1840 from for y'all military people. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of tonight's show, once again, wants to give you information about Mr. Suja Graham. Um, it was my intention during the course of Mr. Graham's presentation to throw stuff in there about the, the death penalty and some of their earlier Supreme Court cases, but Mr. Graham's um, presentation was so powerful and so moving, and I was so awestruck by him that I didn't really have the balls to break in. <laughs> and, 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 and we were so wrapped up in it that I'm just realizing that normally at the end we take photographs that aren't always uploaded to And he Facebook. disappeared without pictures. But if you look on the website tonight, Renee put a picture of him up on the um, Facebook page. That's pretty much how he used to look. He's a little older now, a little wiser. Got some wisdom on his face, some pain on his face. But he's an amazing, amazing man. And like we said, you can check him out at www.suja, S-H-U-J-A-A, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M dot org. All one word, sujagram.org. Or reach out to his organization, www. All these words are written out, witness to innocence.org. And actually, they, I was told that he does Facebook more than he does the website. So if you're on Facebook, reach out to him on Facebook. And if um, you heard the accent, yeah, he, he's from Louisiana originally. So you heard that Louisiana accent. So we want to thank you all for hanging out with us. Pass the word. Next week, we're going to be talking about what, producer? You got the calendar. Sheet. We are going to have a terrific guest. She and we are going to be talking about some really dynamic topics. Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> from 3 to 5, that tells you she has no damn clue. From 3 to 5, right here on G-Town Radio, tune in for the sexy soul, Serena Soul. Se- wow, Serena, I tried to be cool getting it out, and I just messed that all up. <laughs> Let me try again. The sexy soul, smooth sounds of Serena Soul Brown, right here on G-Town Radio from 3 to 5. Also, tonight at 9, there was a tournament here in Germantown. Tournament. I saw it on the um, community calendar, and I can't remember if it was a Big West tournament, tournament, tournament or a Spades tournament or something. Is that tournament like a a tournament? Oh, thank you. It's the <laughs> word is tournament. That's how it's pronounced. Hey. But the Philadelphians say tournament because I had to figure out what the <laughs> hell that was. T o u r n a m e n t is a tournament, not a tournament. Well, it's not like water either. It's water. <laughs> Ladies and <laughs> gentlemen, thank y'all for. Checking us out. Okay, my producer's putting her finger up. Sorry, go ahead. Some of the shows that we do have upcoming is we have two young men who are in their late teens. They're still on the good side, you know, not stepped into the bad side yet. They are skirting over that line. Mamas are up to the ears, so we're going to have them in the studio. And they're going to tell us what it's like being in their little young shoes and what they need and people like them. They need for us to stop preaching at them, but what else do they need from us? They're going to be in here to talk about that, and we're going to we're going to surround that show around juvenile issues. And we have someone from the Philadelphia prisons talking about education that's available in the prisons, how that works, who's eligible. Um, and those, that's going to be interesting. Um, we are going to be doing another voting show. That's and going by to be the coming by, up. the voting law for those of y'all that care. The voting law was challenged in Commonwealth Court. That's the court you go to when you're challenging something involving the state. The Commonwealth judge said the law is constitutional. Let it stand. 
the powers that be, the Democrats, appealed to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Recently, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came down and said, you know what, Eh, we don't think the law is a violation of the Constitution, but we're going to send the case back down to the judge who heard it and make him do a hearing to make sure the state can convince him that they can do all they can do before the election to get people their identification. What the hell does that mean? That means our Supreme Court were a bunch of fucking wusses and pussies and didn't want to do their damn job and send it back to the lower court, not giving a shit that the election is 20, is less than six weeks away. So, Interesting, there was one justice who dissented. Dissent means she doesn't agree with what everybody else said. Here's what she said. By sending this case back to the Commonwealth Court, which is the court below, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court abdicated its duty to decide a legal controversy that's vitally important to the citizens of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The eyes of the nation are upon Pennsylvania, and this Supreme Court has chosen to punt rather than act. I will have no part of it. So she refused to be a part and sign her name to that bullshit decision. Essentially, what does that mean, y'all? Supreme Court, where a bunch of chicken shits, didn't want to say, you know what? There's no reason and there's no, no need to quickly enforce this shit. We got time. You guys keep doing what you need to do to ensure everyone gets their ID and come back and see us after the election or when you've got evidence to demonstrate no one's going to be disenfranchised by it. And what um, Justice Todd said in her dissent was that we all know from the beginning that there are going to be people disenfranchised because they admitted that. Mm -hmm. So why the hell would we send that back to the lower courts? Justice Todd, thank you, girl. Stand up. Thank you for having some balls. The rest of y'all Supreme Court justices, shame on you, you. Shame on you. If, I've never seen more of a political statement than this. With the election less than eight weeks away, you do some shit like this, shame on you. And three of those Supreme Court justices are Democrats, and that's the scary part. Y'all, our time is about up. We want to thank you for listening. As always, when you come on to this show, you get what you came to hear, and I hope you guys enjoyed yourself. Sure. You were listening to For the People, Law and Plain Language. I'm your host, Dad Brandon, the Compassionate Lawyer. And with me is my family, Black, and Simply the Producer. Say bye, family. Bye. Bye. Later. presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue.